This is the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. I'm about to introduce Judge Carol Ammons. She was chief judge of our Brooklyn court. It's a nice little place. He had charmers there on trial like John Gotti, El Chapo, the Mexican drug cartel leader. I'm going to ask Judge Ammon how it works. So, my friend, Judge Carol Ammon, she has been the chief judge of the Brooklyn Court. Can you tell me, how did you start? Where did you start? Where did you go to school? Well, I went to the College of William and Mary, and right after I graduated, I went to the University of Virginia Law School, graduated from there, went to work for a corporation for a year and a half, then went to the Justice Department in D.C., moved up to New York, became an assistant United States attorney in the Eastern District of New York. That's the district I'm a judge in now. Um, did that for 12 years, became a magistrate judge for four years, and then was really fortunate, incredibly fortunate, to be uh, nominated and um, confirmed to the U.S. District Court in the Eastern District of New York in 1990. Well, how did that get you to be chief judge of the Brooklyn Court? Well, I was just the next oldest person in line after the chief. The chief it's no great honor here, Judy. The chief judge at the time, um, Ray Deary, was very kind to me. He It's a seven-year term, but he gave up his term early so that I would not be aged out and I could serve as um, chief judge. So that's how I got to be chief judge, and I was chief judge from 2011 to 2016. And... It stopped on your birthday, which is one day before my birthday, as you know. We, we I know. do know that. <laughs> we, we won't mention what birthday it was. No, we're not going to mention any years. But yours is April 23 and mine is April 24. That's right. That's right. Okay, okay, okay. The Brooklyn court gets the biggest, juiciest cases. I mean, El Chapo, Gotti. What happens when you have such an enormous case? First of all, why? The first question, why does the Brooklyn court and not the Manhattan court get these big name cases? Well, I could say it's because we're the best court in the country. Okay, yeah. Let me me tell you what some of the real uh, factors are. First of all, it's our jurisdiction. We have jurisdiction over crimes occurring in what is called the Eastern District, and that's Brooklyn, Queens, Long Island, and Staten Island. Um, just as we're known for our great restaurants and good beaches, we're also home to some of the best and well-known criminal elements, the head of the five organized crime families and um, such gangs as MS-13 uh, in Central Iceland. We also are home to two of the major airports, LaGuardia and JFK, and there's a lot of narcotics trafficking um, through the airports. But I think perhaps the main reason why you see such important cases is um, principally because of our U.S. Attorney's Office. It's one of the premier U.S. Attorney's Offices in the country. It's staffed by these incredibly bright young men and women who have the respect of the major law enforcement agencies, ATF, DEA, FBI. These kids know how to investigate crimes and how to bring and try cases. So I think that's the major factor. Finally, I'll give a little pat on the back to my colleagues. 
the AUSAs and the agents know that when that wheel spins and they get a judge randomly assigned, that their case is going to be assigned to someone who's bright, competent, and fair to both sides. Okay, that all sounds great, but I live in Manhattan, and I think New York City is the capital of the entire world, and so does everyone else. Not Brooklyn, Manhattan. I don't understand, now that I've listened to your impassioned plea, I don't understand why it's Brooklyn and it's not Manhattan. I've been working on you, Cindy, for a while to disabuse you of that. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. The the Southern District, of course, has... um, you know, important cases as well. They, you know, they try a lot of securities cases, um, you know, the financial uh, cases there. So they have their fair share of important cases as well. But I think we've just had a lot of the higher profile cases, as you mentioned, the Gottis, the uh, El Chapos. Um, and, you know, I think a, a lot of it is based on the factors that I've articulated, the smart U.S. attorneys and our jurisdiction. Well, we who are sitting home reading newspapers or, or watching television, we all get scared when names that are so big and so tough, and you just can't imagine the enormity of having them in a courtroom. Is there extra security, or what happens when you have these really giant, tough names? They have extra security in the courtroom. We have, you know, extra marshals assigned to the courtroom. And, and that's as well because there are a lot of times large crowds wanting to come see these cases. Um, but we do have extra um, marshals, extra court security officers. But generally, um, unless there's a specific threat after the day is over, the judges don't have any extra security pers- well, as, as individuals. What about... What about the judge? Is it not, I mean, this is stupid. You're a professional and it's a dumb question, but I've never asked this before. Isn't there a little frisson of nervousness a little when it's such a big case? Um, I I think that's um, true. I mean, you are a little bit uh, more nervous, principally because there, there are a lot of things going on at one time. You've got to concern yourself with, um, a lot more, a lot of different applications. Often the press will have applications, you know, that they want to sit, sit in the courtroom. There are a lot of, um, moving parts when you have a big case like that. So I think it is a little bit uh, more nerve wracking than your average, you know, importation of cocaine from the airport by a courier case, just because there's so much more going on and you have to be aware of so many different moving parts. Judge Ammon, have you ever Dumb question, maybe, but an interesting answer. Have you ever screwed up? I mean, you ever got nervous? Did anything ever go wrong in a courtroom? Um, I, I, I wouldn't say that anything went wrong in terms of something being screwed up. I've had things happen that were really kind of threw you off a little bit. I, I remember uh, once when um, the jury came back and they had an acquittal. They said the defendant was not guilty. And I have sort of a Pavlovian response where I poll the jury. In other words, I ask every juror, is that your verdict? So I'm going down the line and I go, juror number one, is that your verdict? You know, juror number two, is that your verdict? I get to juror number six and juror number six goes, no, judge, that's not my verdict. I think he's guilty. And I go, oh, my dear. (laughs) 
what do we do now? And, uh, you know, this is file prep 101. Oh, I'm going to send the jury back to continue their deliberations, (laughs) which is what I did. And then they, they ultimately came back with, a not guilty verdict, and all of them agreed. But something always happens in a trial that you never expect. Um, And that's what keeps it interesting. What do you think of trial lawyers? Um, They they differ. um, I think whether you're talking about a criminal case or a civil case, my experience has been that the criminal lawyers are better trial lawyers. And I think it's because many of the civil cases um, settle and the civil lawyers do not have as much trial experience. So my experience has been that the um, criminal lawyers are the better trial lawyers. And I think it's just because they do it more often. Well, I've been in a few uh, a few courtrooms and I've seen it. I was there with a lot of people and I've seen them do theatrical stuff. You know, they... They, they talk to a jury in a different way. They have, it's theater. Some of it is theater. Is that not the case? Oh, of course. Of course, particularly when it comes to um, summing up to a, a jury. I have seen very experienced lawyers um, have entirely different personas depending on the composition of the jury and what they perceive the jury wants to hear. And, you know, that's total theater. Um, it's just, you know, they present themselves in a different way. So it, you know, I always think that good trial lawyers are frustrated actors. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably. I think they probably make more than these actors. What is your opinion of our policing now, our problems with bail? I don't, I'm not smart enough to understand all of that. I know you do. What is your theory? Well, um, I'm not, I mean, that's a pretty broad question. Um, in terms of, you know, bail and bail reform, in the federal system, uh, we have, I think, a much better um, system of bail than um, they have in the state system. It's, um, I, I just think it's, it's better formulated. Um, and so we don't have quite the same issues, I think, that they have in the state or, you know, the same kind of complaints that they have in the um, state. Policing is a very um, complicated um, area. Um, so, you know, we, we will have had civil cases over the years where there are complaints about excessive um, force by the police. But, you know, by and large, in terms of the law enforcement agencies, I think they they have a tough job to do. Well, um, how, how much leeway? I know a judge has to go by certain rules. But how much leeway does a judge's background play in sentencing? I mean, if he had a bad background, he's more lenient. Or if he's a left-winger or a right-winger, does that not play into sentencing? Well, I think all of us try very hard um, not to let our backgrounds influence us um, in a way that would not the proper. In other words, I, I always try and um, try and think to put aside any you know preconceived notions that I may uh, have of individuals and think and try and put out any you know any of those things out of your head. Um, 
you know, uh, you know, some people are um, are harsher sentencers than other people. But I, I know it's sentencing is the most difficult thing that we do. And I know every single one of my colleagues strives to be as fair as they can in sentencing. And, but, and you know, it's tough. Well, I think you have been very fair and very tough and very good in your answers, and I appreciate your coming on with me. Thank, thank you very well, much. I enjoyed it. I look forward to seeing to you. you soon. Thank you. Okay, great talking to you. Thanks, Carol. Bye. Thanks. Bye. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.